Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to The Bill Press Show here on February 27th. That's right. It is The Bill Press Show, but I am not Bill Press. He is Bill Press. What are you doing? Um, I'm Bill Press with no voice. Here's the thing. Sometimes when we Sorry. come in here early in the mornings... Uh, you you have to make last minute adjustments. And Bill woke up with with essentially no voice. And uh, gosh, it's really hard to host a radio TV show when you don't have a voice. And so, uh, what was the what was the name of the Hillary Clinton book? It takes a village, Bill. And so today we're we're gonna get through Here's the show. The Donald Trump has been trying to shut me up <laughs> for all this time. It's the deep state working against it's, you. It's taking away your voice. So we glad, uh, you, glad you got one. We we swooped into action. We made some last minute adjustments. I'm going to be sitting here with Bill. Uh, he's going to be here through uh, the show. And Ray Coughing. Ro- and Ray Rogers is running the board. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Uh, so we're going to make it happen today. We're going to make it happen today. And thankfully. There is plenty to talk about. That's the good news. Uh, there's there's certainly no lack of, of things to talk about. One of the stories I wanted to talk about right off the bat, I don't know if you've been following this. We talked about it a little bit last week. The governor of Missouri, Republican by the name of Eric Greitens, he's been arrested and charged with a friggin' felony. Rising star. Rising star in the Republican Party. I mean, Republicans really are high on this guy. Well, not not so much anymore. Uh, he has been charged with a felony for invasion of privacy for taking a partially nude photo of a woman he was having an affair with and sharing it online, which is a felony. A felony. A felony. And it's also just very, very bad. We've seen some of these stories come out of, like, revenge porn, and there are states that are enacting laws to sort of shut down revenge porn. Here is the governor of a state here in America who is doing it. He's only been in office one year. Yeah. What a year it's been. (laughs) And he won't go. And the Republicans in Missouri are saying... You got to get the hell out of here. Well, it's actually you, I'm glad you mentioned that. We actually have some audio from some of the Republicans there in Missouri. Uh, first of all, Shaman Hogan, who is a uh, state representative, who is uh, Shaman Dogan, who's a state representative there in Missouri. The argument that once you're in someone's home and engaged in an affair, that you have the right 
to take a photograph of that person undressed and bound, that, that was just sickening to me, revolting. So that's part of why, why I'm here, why I think the governor can no longer be an effective leader. And also, Marsha Hefner, another uh, mm-hmm. Republican uh, congresswoman from the state of Missouri, state, state uh, representative. Everywhere I go, people are telling me we hope this ends quickly, that, that um, it's an embarrassment to the state and that um, we need to move forward. Yeah, let, let's just keep in mind, there were all of these Republicans that came out. They're talking impeach. They're talking impeachment already. By the way, my favorite part of this entire story is, Washington Post is reporting, a former stripper convicted of secretly recording women while he was having sex with them has made a request for Missouri's embattled governor saying, I want to be pardoned. And he's saying, hey, I did the same thing you did, Jack. I did the sa- I am convicted and went to jail for the same exact thing that you're, you did and are trying to survive. Give me that pardon. Just to <laughs> put this in context, if I can, a little bit. So Claire McCaskill, Democrat, great person, up for re-election in Missouri as a Democratic senator. She was considered very vulnerable this year. Because yeah. It's Missouri. It's a red state. And this ain't helping. No, 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 it's not. Ain't helping Republicans take on Claire McCaskill. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So we will talk about that, plus a whole lot more. Cadets Bone Spurs back in action yesterday. Uh, We're going to play some clips from Donald Trump yesterday that you will not believe. Going to take a very, very quick break. We'll be right back. Show. We are on your radio, on your TV, and online. Listening on your favorite progressive talk radio station. We are also on Free Speech TV and YouTube at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And don't forget, we have a podcast. We have a great podcast. Goes up right after the show every single day. You can listen to it on iTunes or anywhere else that you get your podcast. Just look for the Bill Press Show on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe. That way it comes right to your phone or your uh, Apple Watch or your computer, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, you can get it right there. Uh, Oh, hi. By the way, I'm not Bill Press. My name is Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in for Bill Press with Bill Press right here. I've said... What a team. What a team, right? Teamwork makes a dream work. I've said this before. There really is no experience quite like doing your boss's job with him looking right at you across the table. You better not screw up now. (laughs) I know. It's too late, right? (laughs) Bill's got a little bit of a shaky voice this morning, and by shaky voice, I mean not much of a voice. So I've stepped in to sort of help guide the show through... uh, through today, uh, so bear with us. But we've got a jam-packed show, and we got a lot of great guests who are coming yes. to help us out. Thank you for doing that. And by the way, um, you know, we have everybody out there watching and listening. The last thing they want to hear is this voice for two hours. Yeah, true, true. But look, you you have things to say, and I hope you jump in. And uh, hey, look, this is my show now, buddy. So. <laughs> Please, can I say something? (laughs) It's a total mutiny here on the Bill Press Show. Uh, Like I said, don't forget to subscribe to get those podcasts. And on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube as well. 
Gosh, where do we even begin today? I, you know, we we have our call the night before the show, and we always plan things out of where we want to go. And look, never works. More and more, it just completely falls apart, right? More and more. But we got on the phone last night, and I said my favorite story of the day is this: Donald Trump says he single-handedly wants to fight the kid who opened fire in the school in Florida, and would have, and would have, would have run in there. Here's the scene: Donald Trump. Uh, is meeting with all the governors from around America, right? They're all in town. They're meeting with Donald Trump, and he has this big, this he's sort of grandstanded in front of all these governors yesterday. Like it wasn't a conversation. He, I'd like to say it was a back no, and forth. He rambled. He just he, rambled. Yeah, about literally any topic you could think of. He just he just threw it out there, right? But the topic of guns came up, and they were talking specifically about arming the teachers. And Donald Trump did what Republicans are doing these days. They shifted away from from the uh, kid who had a gun, but to the police officers who were there who were meant to defend the school. And the story is there was a deputy who was there who was armed. There was a lot of confusion about the situation. He says he thought that the gunshots were coming from outside of the school, which means he did what his training told him to do, which was to go into defensive stance and take cover outside of the school, right? You don't go running inside the school. You look for the shooter outside. That's that's the official story, right? Which Republicans are skimming over. They're just saying he was too scared to go in. Uh, there is another part to the story, right? Like he thought that it was something else, and he was doing exactly what he was trained to do. All that being said, the argument that Donald Trump and Republicans have been putting out there is, Somebody should have gone in there with a gun and shot shot the hell out of this kid. That's what Donald Trump said at CPAC last week. Donald Trump uh, stood up there in front or sat there in front of all the governors and looked at them and said he would go and get the pick a yeah. fight with this guy. You know, I really believe you don't know until you test it. But I think I, I really believe I'd run in there even if I didn't have a weapon. And I think most of the people in this room would have done that, too, because I know most of you. Okay, show of hands. How many believe that? No. Nobody. Way in hell is he going to go into that school with an active shooter? First of all, Donald Trump isn't going to run anywhere. Right. Yeah. Okay, Spambo. Like, he ain't going anywhere. How about five deferments to get out of Vietnam? Yeah. Captain Bone Spurs yeah. is what we call him, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, Braveheart over here all of a sudden found his spine. No, he ain't going into that school. No. Full stop. Yeah. And Maybe you, if he had his golf cart. <laughs> Maybe if he had his He's golf cart. His golf cart, right. He'd ride around. <laughs> you know, the other thing about this deputy, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to spend any time beating up on this deputy, a poor guy. But And by the way, I heard somebody else say, yeah, if you think it's outside, but you're outside and you hear 100 shots inside, then you know it's not outside. But that's that's not, listen, poor guy, let's let him alone. But what this disproves is the idea yeah. that what you need are more guns right. if you have more armed officers or armed teachers, that they're all going to do the right thing. No. Donald Trump even no. yesterday, I don't think we have the audio for this, but he even said in this meeting, he says, you know, look, it's a school the size of Stoneman Douglas High School, which is a which is a large high school. Yeah. He said you would have to many have many buildings. Yeah, many, many different buildings, right? The, like the the building where the shooting happened is never going to open up again, right? The school is is back open, but they are never going to open that part up. They can still have classes there without that that part of the school. But for a a, a a campus, a complex that size, you would have to have dozens of armed guards 
Yep. Yep. And Trump even said that. And it's like, if that's your point, you're losing. If you have to make the argument that we have to have more guns in schools to fight the guns that are already finding their way into schools, but one, one high school in America, you've got to have dozens of guards, you've lost the argument. I really do think you've lost the argument. Uh, you know what that also overlooks is the fact that there are a lot of there have been a lot of mass shootings did not happen in schools. Yeah. The schools are the most shocking to us because they're kids, right? Uh, but how about the movie theaters? How about concerts? That's the thing. How about the shopping mall? That, that, so now, you know what? This is the road to everybody, everybody, everywhere carrying a gun. It's not even very That's thinly what the NRA veiled. Wants. The NRA's mission is not even very well hidden or cleverly hidden. It's just there should be guns in Every theater, uh, school, classroom, church, church, uh, yeah, radio studio. Like, where does it end? Literally, where does it end? If we're going to put guns in the hands of teachers at school so that they can shoot uh, possible offenders, where does that end? Where does that logic, where do we finally play that out? I don't see an end to it. And so, what are we actually going to get done? I got to give it to um, Washington Governor yes, Jay Inslee. I was about to go there. In the White House, in the White House, he stood up and told the president, "Stop tweeting, and get off this idea." Yeah, yeah. Do we have we have that clip? We do have him saying that. He also says that teachers shouldn't be packing heat. Yeah, yeah. I want to yeah. play that. Right. This is a circumstance where we need to listen. That educators should educate. This is a circumstance where we need to listen that educators should educate and they should not be foisted upon this responsibility of packing heat in first grade classes. And, and, and I mentioned Donald Trump just sat there in front of everybody and yeah. with his arms crossed and pouting as soon as Jay Inslee spoke. And and he really threw threw him a curveball when he told him that that uh, that comment about tweeting. We suggest things, and sometimes then we listen to people about it, and maybe they don't look so good a little later. So I just suggest we need a little less tweeting here, a little more listening, and let's just take that off the table and move forward. Now, that is said as it's certainly more polite than some of other Republicans have told Trump to, to, yeah, to stop tweeting, yeah. <laughs> right? So, like he said, and Donald Trump folded his arms and put this pout on his face while he's talking. He hated to hear that from Jay Inslee. You know what? Tough. He's right. Jay Inslee. Jay Inslee's right. Jay Inslee's right. Jay Inslee, Carol's candidate for president. Oh, that's right. 2020. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Go, Jay Inslee, go. <laughs> and by the way, this. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, to me, Donald Trump, the way he started was the end of it for me. When he said, I had lunch last Sunday with Wayne LaPierre and the leadership of the NRA. I think we have that clip, too. And these are great people. They're yeah. patriots. They want to do what's great for this country. When you start out figuring what to do about guns by having lunch yeah. with the head of the NRA, you're you, you've already yeah you've already lost the the, the battle. Yeah, you've yeah. lost the argument. There's so, no bigger fan of the Second Amendment than me, and there's no bigger fan of the NRA. Yeah. And these guys are great patriots. They're great oh, people. God, and they want to do something. They're oh. going to do something. Yeah. You know, we always make the joke about Donald Trump 
has a problem with saying the quiet part loud. Uh, he he cannot he cannot help himself <laughs> from just throwing out there how loyal he is to the NRA. Yeah, he can't help it. And like, look. I understand that there are a lot of special interests out there, right, that a lot of politicians get involved with, and and there is a certain skill for weaving that relationship in and out of your politics. But I want to play that clip that he's talking to a lot of Republicans about the NRA, how they're afraid of the NRA. This is exactly what I mean right. when I say they're right. saying the quiet part loud. Democrats are saying, you guys are afraid of the NRA. You're too afraid to do something. And Donald Trump himself said it yesterday. Don't worry about the NRA. They're on our side. You guys, half of you are so afraid of the NRA. There's nothing to be afraid of. And you know what? If they're not with you, we have to fight them every once in a while. That's okay. Yeah, I want to see Donald Trump fight the NRA. Not going to happen. Yeah. But the one thing he's told about maybe fighting the NRA is that he would raise the age for buying a long gun or an assault rifle from 18 to 21, which we talked about yesterday is insane. The average age of a mass killer is 35. Yeah. Yeah. So... If he goes against the NRA on that little thing and then people give him credit for standing up to the NRA, they're nuts. <laughs> yeah, you don't get much credit from me. You don't get much credit from me. By the way, we do have to mention some good news. Yesterday, another company came forward and said that they will stop giving discounts to the N- to members of the NRA, and that is Delta Airlines. Now, the other ones were a big deal. Enterprise was a big deal. They own Hertz and Alamo. Uh, there were other people that came forward and took away their uh, the privileges of uh, NRA members. But Delta is the largest employer in the state of Georgia, bright red Georgia. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. And so they came forward and said, look, if you're a member of the NRA, no more discounts. That's it. And good for them. Because the whole idea that you give a discount to a card-carrying member of the NRA is ludicrous to begin with, but they are facing some opposition. The lieutenant governor in Georgia is a man by the name of Casey Kegel, who came out and said that he is going to fight Delta to take away some of their tax breaks in the state of Georgia if they actually follow through with this. We can't just kowtow uh, to uh, the type of political pressure that comes against conservative values. And certainly the NRA is, uh, uh, is an organization that obviously feels very strong, as I do, around Second Amendment. And I think it's time that we take the stand. So what is this all about, right? First of all, yeah. Delta gets a $50 million sales tax exemption on jet fuel in the state of Georgia. Okay? $50 million. And so this guy all of a sudden is saying he's going to take that away. Now, this is classic conservatism. This is classic republicanism, right? Let the free market decide until it actually affects something that I agree with, and then we're going to drop the hammer on you. Mm -hmm. It's BS. Yeah. And right. So we're not going to kowtow to Delta. We'll kowtow to the NRA. To the NRA. To the NRA instead. By the way. Lots of luck with this. Delta is the largest. Have you you've been to Atlanta? Airport. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean it's Delta land. It's Delta City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. Uh, do you think about how many Georgians work for Delta? How much money Delta means to the state of Georgia and to that Hearts? I think it's Hartsfield. Hartsfield, it? yeah, Jackson International. Hartsfield. Yeah, that guy. He's t- he's going to lose it. He could lose his political career yeah. over that. Yeah. Dumbass. Well, that, that that I think is a very interesting uh, way to look at it, right? Because I've seen so many Republicans and conservatives on Twitter, either politicians or guys like Ben Shapiro or Eric Erickson or all these blowhards who have come forward and said, like, 
you will underestimate the power of the NRA at your own peril. And these kids that want to, you know, uh, help get some sensible gun legislation enacted, they're going to realize just how popular the NRA is. And you know what? I'm not so sure of that. I'm not so sure of that. No. Look, you look at the polls. Americans, two to one, support stronger background checks. I think it's about 60% support getting rid of assault weapons. Yeah. No. The NRA is on the losing side of this. I'd love to see a politician come out and just say, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't care what the NRA has to say. I will make sure that uh, that the NRA, like their influence over politics, starts to wane. I guarantee you that politician uh, would not suffer any consequences for it. Uh, I guarantee you they would. Right. The other thing that, uh, just jumping in here, but the other thing that Donald Trump talked about yesterday, bemoaning the fact that we closed. The mental hospitals, if we only had mental hospitals like we used to have, we could have put this kid in one of those mental hospitals. Yeah, I, I, I want to get to that clip here in just a second, because yeah. uh, this, again, was in front of the Republican governors, or, or all the governors. A lot of them are Republicans, and he looks at them, and he says this about the shooting. You know, in the old days, we had mental institutions. We had a lot of them. And you could nab somebody like this because, you know, they did. They knew he was something was off. You had to know that. People were calling all over the place. In the old days, we used to have mental institutions. Yeah. If we had him today, he'd be in one Um, (laughs) or should be. Well, I just want I can't speak for all 50 states, Mm. but I know in California, we used to have mental institutions in California. And the guy that shut them down was Ronald Reagan, Republican Governor Ronald Reagan, and the result of that was an incredible homeless problem in the state of California, because where did they go, right? They went yeah. out to the streets. Yeah. And by the way, uh, it was only a couple of months ago that Donald Trump had a bill passed by Congress to increase funding for mental health and screening. Yeah. Donald Trump vetoed the bill. Yeah. Cut the funding for the program. And we got a look at his budget. It was about three weeks ago, a month ago. I'm reading directly from U.S. News. Uh, Trump's latest budget would slash the major source of public funds for mental health treatment, the Medicaid program serving more than 70 million low-income and disabled people. The budget also calls for a 36% cut to the Education Department grant program that supports safer schools, reducing it by $25 million from the current level of $67.5 million. So... When he wants to come out there and bark about how we used to have mental institutions and we used to, we could still have them. We still could have a good uh, resource for people who suffer from mental illness. We could still be putting money and resources into that. But you, the President of the United States, chose not to fund them. So, can't really have it both ways. I wonder, uh, I was watching the president yesterday with those governors. And there were maybe 45, 48. I mean, like Jerry Brown wasn't there. I don't know who else was not there. Bless Jerry Brown for not going, by yeah. the way. But I just wonder, these are people, Republican and Democrat, they wouldn't be where they are if they weren't pretty smart. Right. Know, got elected. Sure. They know the issues. They're dealing with the issues. Some of them had been dealing with the gun issue longer than Donald Trump and have done some good things about it. And for them to sit there and listen to that idiot just ramble along, obviously not knowing what he was talking about in any area, it must have been embarrassing for them. It's got to be embarrassing. Don't you think? It's got to be embarrassing. I mean, every single governor 
even the even the conservatives, right? The only yeah. one that I can think of that I that I think would actually go along with everything that Donald Trump says is Paul LePage. For I knew me. you'd say him. Yeah, it's probably Paul yeah. LePage for me. But even Rick Scott from Florida. I'm trying to think of other like just hyper conservative governors. Um, I wonder if Kasich was there. By the way, that's a good question. I I would bet money he wasn't. I would too. I'd bet money I he wasn't. Too. But even John Kasich, right? Republican has been wrong yeah. on a lot of things. Like. He's a on some things a thoughtful guy, and to, for him to have to sit there and listen to this maniac talk about talk about this stuff, and like embarrassing is the right word. Embarrassing is absolutely the right word. One of the things he also talked about was the arming of teachers. Um, I thought it was really interesting because Congress is back in town. And so reporters are finally getting a crack at asking them, like, how they feel about this story and how they feel about Donald Trump's idea to arm the teachers. Now, we have two clips, one from Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Jeff Flake from Arizona, two two states where they pretty much they value their guns. They value their Second Amendment pretty highly out there. First of all, Joe Manchin talking about how the teachers he's talked to. I haven't found any support in West Virginia from the teachers and all the groups that I've spoken to uh, for that. I'm sure there's some areas, there'll be pockets of it. Okay, he hasn't found support for it in West Virginia. All right, Jeff Flake also talking about it. That's not a direction I'd go. I think there are other things we, we could do do first. I mean, I, I just that just doesn't sound like a like a direction we ought to head in. Yeah. So these guys from fairly red states. And 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 certainly, I mean, I can't. I mean, I can't think of a more pro Second Amendment state than West Virginia. <coughs> and they're coming out and saying, "Yeah, you know, we should probably pump the brakes on this arming teachers idea." If you can't sell it to Joe Manchin and Jeff Flake, if you can't sell it to West Virginia and Arizona, who the hell are you going to sell it to? So I have an idea. Yeah. Instead of giving the teachers in West Virginia a gun, how about if we give them a pay raise? Yo. How about if we give them a living wage? Yeah. A decent wage. Yeah. You know, so we know every school in West Virginia is shut down. Shut today. down. Every school. Today is the fourth day. Fourth day in a row. I saw them chanting last night, 55 strong. And I thought, what does that mean? It means there are 55 counties, 55 school districts in West Virginia. Every one yeah. is shut down. So, a couple of numbers. Yeah, let's do it. They now make. An average forty five thousand six hundred bucks. You got a couple of kids. That's not a lot of money. No. Um, the national average for teachers is fifty eight thousand. Good so, God! Right. So they're that far low, and the governor offered them a two percent increase this year, and then for the next two years, one percent a year. That's embarrassing. Yeah, that's embarrassing. There were teachers last night who were talking. They're on food stamps now, just to help feed their family, right? But let's give them guns. But let's give them guns instead. And make them pay for the guns and make them pay for the training. Yeah, that's right. Right. All this talk about how much we value teachers and how they could do this and how they could do that. We don't fund the schools. We don't pay our teachers. Like, they're just going to put another burden on the back of teachers. And by the way, uh, there's there's a clip from Brandy Emsch. Emsch, she is a teacher in West Virginia, and she talked about this strike that's going on in West Virginia. We have so many vacancies, you know, it's no wonder teachers are going to other states. I mean, and it's no wonder that we can't fill the vacancies because we're not offering what 
other states can offer. And that's one of the that's one of the fascinating yeah. parts of this strike. Like you said, it is about the pay raise and it is about the money, but that's not the that's not the entirety of what they're arguing about. They're arguing and they're saying not that we necessarily want more money, even though that they absolutely deserve it and they should get it, but they're saying we have no substitute teachers. Right. Yeah. If, like we feel like we cannot ever take the time off if we get sick or if there's an emergency, we have to work because if we can't show up to work, there's no backup plan because no teachers are nobody's trying to be a teacher in West Virginia. They rank 48th out of 50 in teacher pay. Why in the world would you go to yeah. try and become a teacher in West Virginia? Why? No. Yeah, but you're right. It's the entire educational system yeah. that they're concerned about in West Virginia, that they're not getting the best teachers because teach, teachers are leaving the state. They don't have the substitutes. The kids aren't getting the best education they can. So it's the kind of the future of West Virginia that's on the line, and the dumbass governor says, all I can give you is 1%. Yeah. Yeah, of the, this is uh, from our friend Dave Jamison at HuffPost. He wrote about this, and he says, of West Virginia's 55 counties, more than half border a state with better teacher pay. And the state is still, still trying to fill 700 vacant positions. Wow. That's where they were before the strike. They had 700 vacant positions in the state of West Virginia. And by the way, why is this such a problem? Why are they not able to pay their teachers? Why are teachers having to not go to school for four days in a row, probably more? Because, well, it was a series of business tax cuts that left the uh, schools with little money to give public servants their raises. So... This is this is conservatism, folks. This is what Republicans do. This is what Republicans want to do. They want to pay. And I, I know we talk about it here, and a lot of people, it's sort of become a cliche of Republicans want to stand for big. Here it is in action. Republicans have chosen big business over the education of your children. You know, we saw the same thing play out in Kansas with uh, Bill, oh, yeah. Bill Frist. Uh, no, Brownback. Sam Brownback. Brown, Sam Brownback. Yeah, Sam Brownback. Right. So they did this massive tax cut. State went belly up, went bankrupt. Yep. Schools and everything. Disaster. And the Republican legislature had to turn around and say, oh, God, we really screwed that up. <laughs> yeah. And they reversed it. Yeah. But, but they, and guess what? We just voted that in nationwide. Mm -hmm. The Trump tax cut plan. Exactly the same. It was exactly the same. Right. And so, look, this is the first, this is the first of many stories you will hear about states getting screwed over by businesses uh, getting a cut getting a bigger tax cut, and your kids are getting screwed. So 30 minutes past the hour. Thank you so much for tuning hey, you in. you know to what? The you're Bill pretty Pressure. good at this. <laughs> Stick around, would you? <laughs> it's Tuesday, February 27th. What's going on at the White House? We will ask White House reporter for Politico, Andrew Restucia. He joins us in studio next. Stay tuned to the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Folks, it is The Bill Press Show. I am clearly not Bill Press. Uh, he's over there. We, we, we put him over in the corner. 
<laughs> I used to be Bill Press. <laughs> no. All right, so I started over there. Yeah. Now I've moved here. Yeah. I got the feeling that the yeah. next move is out the to door be is the next front door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're we're making it through today. Bill came in with not much of a voice, so I'm sort of helping him guide the ship today. Uh, but luckily, we have some help. We have Andrew Restucia. He is the White House reporter at Politico. You can follow him on Twitter at Andrew Restucia. Thanks for coming in, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, what a wild time to be covering the White House. It is crazy. Yeah. I, I, I want to first of all play, again, this is my, my favorite story of the day. This is the very first clip we played of Trump saying he would run into the school uh, where the shooting happened yesterday. This is when he was talking to a bunch of the, um, uh, the, the governors who were in town. And Donald Trump said that if he had been there, he would have gone in. You know, I really believe, you don't know until you test it, but I think I, I really believe I'd run in there even if I didn't have a weapon. And I think most of the people in this room would have done that too, because I know most of you. Okay, so somebody at the White House press briefing asks Sarah Huckabee Sanders about this. And she does what she does. She, she spins a little bit and changes it around to where she says what he actually meant by that. He was just stating that um, as a leader, he would have uh, stepped in and hopefully been able to help as a number of the individuals that were in the school, the coach and other adults, uh, and even a lot of the students stepped up. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm not sure you have that a smirk on your face. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's what Donald Trump meant when he said his comments, but I guess points for creativity. Yeah, I mean, he clearly meant that he was going to, you know, rush into the school and take matters into his own hands. I mean, the likelihood of that, first of all, the likelihood of that scenario ever playing out is basically zero. But Yeah, um, right. But, uh, you know, setting that aside, I mean, I mean, I obviously can't get into his head. To sure, what sure, he sure. Do, but, I mean, you know. The likelihood that he could run. <laughs> is zero. Well, remember, the body has a finite amount of energy, and once you use it all up, you're done. That's what he believes. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. Right. So, like, he ain't running anywhere. Um, and also, like, I mean, let's keep in mind, like, this is a man who has, you know, been in a relative bubble for most of his adult life. I mean, he hasn't, you know, had regular access to average Americans for quite some time. I mean, even now, he's he's he has Secret Service protection, but before that, he was, you know, relatively cloistered in Trump Tower. So, I mean. This idea that he's just going to, um, you know, run into a situation like that. I yeah. Think is, you know, not no. Quite. It's it's a fantasy yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And remember, he does have bone spurs. He does have bone spurs. Yeah. He, right. That's a good point, Bill. We want to make sure safety first when it comes he to He would have run spurs. into Vietnam. Yeah. Except he Except he for those bone, bone spurs. spurs. Yeah. Damn, right. don't you hate that? Uh, well, we remember when this shooting in Florida happened, uh, there were stories going around that the White House... Uh, was relieved that this happened, right? That they they saw this as a reprieve because the day before the shooting happened, we were full on in the Rob Porter scandal, the security clearance scandal, and those things haven't gone away. They're still out there. So kind of where are we now? I mean, Rob Porter is gone. Um, has anybody else been sort of swept out during this period of time that we haven't been focused on that problem? Well, I think, like, big picture here, the White House does sort of tend to think about things in terms of news cycles. Yes. They're very much aware of where the press is in terms of, like, the story of the moment. So, I mean, I don't think, obviously, you know, I don't think that they were literally relieved that the shooting occurred. Understood. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there was a, you know, they were being, you know, hammered every single day on Rob Porter and... 
you know, the press uh, to its detriment, I think, in some ways, is is in- incapable of sort of doing more than one thing at once, or at least the, the, the cable news media. Um, so you saw sort of a, a switch in, in tone to the shooting. Understandably, it was a huge news story, but I think you've sort of, people have sort of forgotten about this background clearance issue, which is um, which is huge, you know, and it's going to continue dogging the administration for the next several weeks and months. You had a story right before the, the, the shooting happened about how Sarah Huckabee Sanders was pushing for John Kelly to come out and actually face the press. Well, that clearly isn't going to happen. Right. Like yeah. that, that completely got swept aside. So, I mean, we, we reported and we were told that, you know, Sarah Sanders was incredibly frustrated uh, about the way that this was handled. I mean, she was essentially put out to explain the unexplainable. She wasn't giving. Which, by, by the way, I mean, not interrupt, but yeah. like. She doesn't really have much of a problem explaining away the unexplainable, uh, yeah, right? Like, when you're as brazen as she is. I think it's different in this case because she felt that she wasn't being given all the information. So if she's sure. going to stretch the truth or if she's right. going to spin from the podium, you know, she and every press secretary, I think, would feel yeah. that you need to be given all the information, right? And so she had just gone away for a, sh- a brief, you know, trip with her family uh, the weekend prior. She came back, and I think she was just sort of caught a little bit flat-footed, and I don't feel like... And, and she and others in the White House felt like she wasn't getting the full story from John Kelly and others. Um, so she was saying, look, go out there yourself and explain yourself. Um, and uh, that never that never occurred because yeah. of the school shooting. Which so happened. what is up with Jared Kushner and no security clearance? Um, so <laughs> why... Why can't he get one, and how long do you think Kelly will keep him around without one? So we don't know the precise reason. Um, There could be any number of reasons, right? I mean, he has debt, uh, an increasing amount of debt. Um, There are uh, a number of— To German banks, British banks, Chinese banks. Which has increased while he's in— Uh, the administration. Um, there is, a, you know, there's been a whole lot of reporting about his really, his re- relationship with China. Um, so it, we've been told basically that that Kushner, as of at least a couple weeks ago, was there were there was no sort of certainty that he would ever be given a clearance at all. Um, now uh, he is obviously the president's son-in-law. He is uh, a senior advisor to the White House. Um, it makes it really difficult to do your job without uh, a full security clearance. Now, you can view classified information on interim clearance. Um, we can debate whether or not you should, um, but um, under the current rules, you can. Um, and the president has basically said, this is up to John Kelly. Right? This is up I mean, to John Kelly. It's um, his decision. Now, I mean, the president can say that publicly. Who knows what he's going to do behind the scenes, right? But uh, Yeah, I mean, what options does John Kelly have for the it, son It puts him in a really difficult position. And, and I think everyone, not everyone, many in the White House have felt like that's the downfall of bringing your family or your, or your sort of extended family into the White House is, is it's really difficult to be the boss to someone who is the son-in-law of the president. So Kushner doesn't have one, but neither does his wife, correct? As far as I know, yeah. She does not. She does not. So we've mentioned his name several times, John Kelly. What happens to John Kelly in all of this? I just he. I mean, I, I'm 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 kind of amazed that he survived this long, right? Just given the tumultuous nature of that job in the Trump administration, right? But like, he's still around. He's still around. Uh, I think one thing that gets lost in this a little bit is is the president realizes that he also needs John Kelly, right? I mean, um, not a whole lot of people are going to want to do this job. Uh, John Kelly has 
sort of begrudgingly won the president's respect on certain levels, even though he's sort of, you know, tacitly criticized him publicly a number of times. Um, so I'm not necessarily in the camp that John Kelly's out the door tomorrow right. or the next day. Um, uh, he's certainly uh, in more trouble deep water than he's been, you know, in the entirety of his white however many months on the job so far. Um, but this is an impossible job uh, for any in any presidency, let exactly. alone this, this presidency. Right? right. It's already a crazy job, but, like, you put Donald Trump into the equation and it gets a lot crazier. Right. Yeah. Uh, back to Ivanka for just a second. So she gave an interview while she was in um, Chang, Chang. Chang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. with Peter, 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 Alexander. Peter Alexander from NBC, where he asked her about allegations against her father uh, by 20 women, I think. And she said that was an inappropriate question to ask her. And anyhow, she believes her daddy. Right. And she, so she, she said it was inappropriate, but she also answered the question. Yeah. And she yeah. said she believes uh, her father. I mean, it's first of all, it's not an inappropriate question. I think we can all agree to that, right? I mean, no. And, yeah. and like, I, saw, yeah. I saw some Republicans and some conservatives on, online yesterday saying, like, well, Chelsea Clinton was asked – about her father's indiscretions when she was campaigning for Hillary Clinton, and she said that's inappropriate. There are a lot. There are a lot of different distinctions we can make. Number one, it wasn't her dad running for office. Mm-hmm. Number two, she wasn't an employee. She wasn't in her father's. Uh, uh, wasn't working in her father's White House, right? So, like Ivanka Trump works directly for her father. She has an office in the White House, so it's a totally appropriate question. I think it's fair to ask them both. Right, exactly. I, I do too. Frankly, yeah. frankly, I do too. You're an right? adult child of a president. Yeah, you know, you're putting yourself in the public eye. You, you're going to get questions that you're uncomfortable with. That's yeah. just the reality. Yeah, but there is a but, difference, I think, between the two of them. So, sure. but this is the somebody said this is the problem with nepotism, right? Why there are laws against nepotism? You send your daughter right to represent the country at the Winter Olympics. Right. I mean, the whole interview was, frankly, just um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Why? Why but, is it inappropriate? It's her. only inappropriate because of the position that Donald Trump put her in. Right. Yeah. That's, it's not inappropriate to ask the question. That that's what was inappropriate. Right. Right. Like she might have a point. It might be inappropriate, and but you, not because of the interviewer. And you can't have it both ways, right? You can't, uh, on the one hand, claim that you are just a, just the daughter of the president. On the other hand, want to be taken seriously as a senior advisor in the White House. Right. Right. And that seems to be a problem that they're going to continue to keep having. Uh, I, I want to read because we do have a couple of early morning tweets from Donald Trump. Uh, I, 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 oh, God. Someone's going to have to study my brain and look at the effects that early morning consumption of Donald Trump media has had on it, right? Like either listening to the audio or reading his tweets. But here we go. Uh, he was watching Fox and Friends. He's uh, uh, quoted Judge Andrew Napolitano. Quote, he's got a very good point. Somebody in the Justice Department has a treasure trove of evidence of Mrs. Clinton's criminality at her own hands or through others. That ought to be investigated. I fully agree with the president on that. End quote. He then quotes Jonathan Turley, who was also on Fox News this morning. Uh, Quote, I've been skeptical about the collusion and obstruction claims for the last year. I just don't see the evidence. In terms of the collusion... It's all a bit implausible based on the evidence that we have, end quote. So for the first tweet, here we are, over a year after the election, and he's still picking a fight with Hillary Clinton. And he's going to keep doing this. He's going to keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the president's outside advisors, even even Steve Bannon, when Steve Bannon was in the president's good graces, was telling him, keep going after Clinton. You know, it's red meat to the base. People love it, um, at least in the conservative world. Um you know, you can, you know, 
there's obviously good governance <laughs> arguments about whether or not you should be paying attention to your the person that you ran sure. against. But I mean, I feel like from the perspective of the White House, like there's it's just an obvious tactic. Yeah, you know? it's uh, a, it's almost knee jerk. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, and, it's, and it's a criminality, criminality, criminality. Right, uh, and not to mention that the FBI did an investigation of Hillary Clinton. Yeah, it lasted about a year. And I mean, not to mention that we're now uh, debating about we're having a debate about security clearances and classified material and who should view it. And, you know, I mean, after spending an entire campaign in which the president criticized uh, his opponent for for not exactly the same thing, but there are certainly parallels. Less than a minute ago, while we were having this discussion, Donald Trump tweeted again. This one will make your head explode, Bill. Uh, And it's again, it's he's quoting someone else. Quote. We've seen no evidence of collusion. I have seen nothing. The firing of James Comey and all of the aftermath that suggests the president has obstructed justice because he's exercising his power as the president of the United States. I just don't see it. End quote. That was a quote from? Newt Gingrich. (laughs) Even worse. Judge Ken Starr is how Donald Trump identifies him. Judge Ken Starr. So here we are on the collusion between that and the Jonathan Turley uh, tweet that I read where he was quoting him saying he sees no evidence of collusion. Um, Where do we stand with all of this? Well, I think a couple things. I mean, it's important to keep in mind that the reason the president is uh, so sensitive to this issue is because he his one of his deepest fears is to be not taken seriously as as president. Right. And for there to be sort of questions raised about the legitimacy of his of his victory um, for president. Uh, so for him, I mean, he's going to fight this tooth and nail every step of the way, right? Because he doesn't want to be seen. And this goes back decades, right? He wants to be taken seriously. He wants yeah. to be taken seriously. So um, I think that is at the core of w- what you're seeing here. Uh, secondly, I mean, he does this a lot. I mean, he quotes other people um, in order to to make a point that he would he wants to say, and, and in a way, like I think that is a, that also goes back to the legitimacy thing, right? He wants he wants people to believe that everyone in the country is on the same page as, as him. Right? There's a fundamental problem here, and I think you nailed it. Is that when we hear Russian meddling, we think about all that the Russians were trying to do to undermine our election. When Donald Trump hears Russian meddling. He hears, I didn't win on my own. Exactly. I needed help. And he ref- that, to, that to him is just forbidden territory. He can't go there. Exactly. And we, and we should be clear. I mean, it's we don't really know exactly. Right. right. Um, you know, there, there, isn't, there isn't clear evidence that he would have lost. And by the way, but, I'll give him the point that we have not seen evidence of collusion yet. I think we've seen evidence of a willingness to collude. But this investigation isn't over yet. Right. And I think for. So you can't reach any conclusion until Mueller reaches his right. conclusion. But as soon, and, and as, soon as anyone in, in Trump's orbit even gives Mueller an inch in terms of legitimacy, then I think the president believes it's a slippery slope. And then you start right. having to really grapple with these questions in a way that, you know, the White House has so far refused to. Uh, yesterday, uh, Adam Schiff was uh, talking about Robert Mueller. This was with ABC News, I believe. And he said Robert Mueller's going to keep on going. And he also talked about this whole conspiracy theory of the deep state. It's important for the country to know uh, this is not some effort, as the Republicans wanted to portray it, of the deep state opposing Donald Trump. That's nonsense. Okay, so part of this comes from the whole Democratic memo that was released, and that is that is just going to continue to be a thing, right? But that we're now at a point where we have 
members of Congress out here having to talk about and shoot down rumors of a deep state, right? Like, this is only because Donald Trump has pushed this forward, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, He's embraced the whole deep state conspiracy. He has. Uh, he's been talking about it for quite some time. I mean, it's a fascinating dynamic, right? Because, of course, in any government, there are going to be Democrats and Republicans, as there should be. There are going to be career, career bureaucrats who have been working under you know any administration. But this was something that any president has faced, right? As yeah. Like people within the government. But this idea that like the government as a collective is working against the president certainly hasn't been borne out in, with any evidence uh, yet. Yeah. Um, of course, there are elements of every agency you know, that, you know, probably when they go home to their kids, think the pre- what the president is doing is, you know, not in line with what they believe. But hashtag this town. Right. That's <laughs> right. just part exactly. of that's just part of how business gets done here in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I want to ask you about one of your recent columns uh, or one of your recent pieces, uh, because as a native son of Alabama, Mm. I was happy to see the name Luther Strange back in the news. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Big Luther, Big Luther Strange makes a play to return to Washington, D.C. Now, he is no longer the senator from Alabama. I mean, I just kind of forget. It was a big moment, right, with Doug Jones won in Alabama right. and, and Roy Moore was vanquished. <laughs> uh, but that that was it for Big Luther, or maybe not. He might yeah. be coming back to town. I mean, he's going to cash in, right? He's going to do everything he can. To also, hashtag oh. this town. Yeah. That is just how we <laughs> yeah, do yeah. things here. <laughs> I mean, we, we reported that he, in his sto- in the story, that he's you know, interviewing with law firms. Uh, he's he's talked to. He, has, he still has a bunch of friends, Alabama <gasps> folks, in the, in the White House that he's talking to, getting recommendations. Okay. You know, he, he's he's sort of weighed the idea of opening his own political consulting shop. Um, he wants to be back in D.C. He likes it here. And I've seen, I mean, I, someone emailed me yesterday, said they saw him at the grocery store on East Street. I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, okay. He's hard to miss. Right. So That's like, the thing. He, he can't be he, conspicuous. He can't really move around town <laughs> all that quietly. Has he been quietly. banned from Tyson's? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. No, he can still go to malls. You're thinking of Roy Moore. (laughs) (laughs) Roy Moore is back in the news today because he endorsed some candidate for Senate. Did he really? Some wacko. Yeah. But it gets the the biggest yawn from me. The point I I want to make about Luther Strange. Exactly. The point I want to make about Luther Strange is in this town, you can be a loser. And still make it. Oh, there absolutely. are so yeah. many ex people who lost their seats, who were in scandals or whatever, are still making money as lobbyists in this town. Right, and you know, like if you think about it, Luther Strange. I mean, there's not really a whole lot of scandal there when you think. No, about it. no, just you know, he he was in he was in the Senate for uh, what uh, eleven uh, months or yeah. something, and that's better than what most people have. So he was a bad candidate, bad politician, and but he can go sell himself, and you know, right, and he you know he's a. He's a yep. lawyer, and he were, I think he was, you know, Alabama Attorney General, and so he has credentials. Yeah. Yeah. I want to throw you kind of a curveball. I see where you're Washington Nationals hat. Uh, <laughs> spring training is underway. Yeah, I'm waiting for April. To yeah, I, I can feel it, man. Yeah. It's coming. But uh, yesterday, the Golden State Warriors came to town. Today was going to be the day, would have been the day that they met with Donald Trump in the White House because they're playing the Washington Wizards tonight. Uh, but they made a point to come here. Um, they they did some. Uh, they visited DC kids and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But like, but no invitation to the White House. No invitation. No but invitation. Ahead of time, some of them. Steph Curry said he wouldn't come. Right? Steph Curry said. So Steph Curry had said, "We're we're thinking about it, but I don't. But this is not something that I really think I want to do." And before he actually made up his mind and made a public comment, Donald Trump said, "You're not invited to the White House anymore." Right. Which is very Trumpian. 
It's it's very Trumpy. Like I loved. I think the, right. the the most classic Trump thing thing of all on NBA All Star Weekend, which I think we all can agree is the best All Star Weekend. <laughs> NBA All Star Weekend is fantastic. He was tweeting about a NASCAR race. Say like, good luck to all the NASCAR racers out there. And by the way, whoever wins the NASCAR, they'll they'll come to the White House. Mm-hmm. That won't be a problem. I want to ask you about something the Trump administration lost around yesterday with the Supreme Court. They were trying to get the Supreme Court to rush through a decision that the DACA program was illegal the way right. it was set up by mm-hmm. President Obama. The Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to take that up. Right, let the lower courts do We're it. going to let yeah. the lower courts decide that. I mean, I think this, and this is, you know, my colleagues wrote this story, I think, last night or this morning. It sort of takes the pressure out of, or it sort of deflates the immigration fight in Congress, right? Because there's right. this March deadline, right. but people aren't really paying attention to the March deadline. And if the Supreme Court had come out and said, oh, this program is illegal, then all of a sudden there would have been, you know, a rush to get something done in Congress. Um, and Congress doesn't do anything without, you know, you know, someone breathing down their neck. So I think this makes it a lot you know, yeah. less likely that we're going to see and, and the, a breakthrough. And the, the, the administration's argument was, again, that President Obama did not have the legal authority to set up this program. They said, just say that, mm-hmm. and then it's all over. And the Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to say that. Right. We're going to you know, find out what the appeals courts said. Maybe we'll take it up in the future. And, Which, and, and the president has been saying you know, on Twitter and elsewhere for the last couple of days that this is the, the fault of... And Democrats aren't paying attention to this issue anymore. Where is DACA? Why aren't people, you know, I mean, other things have certainly taken course. But, I mean, President, the, the Democrats counter, like, this is a, this is a problem that you created for yourself by That's the thing. The program. They, 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 yeah. they, they created this. Thing. And, and, like, look, we remember you mentioned it yesterday, right? Like, this was the story. This was the entire focus of, of a lot of Washington media for a matter of weeks there. And now it's all we talked about. Poof. Yeah. Right. right. Poof. Now what? Now what? Like you said, you know, like they don't have anybody breathing down their necks. So they're not going to do anything. Right. And everyone's focused on gun control, you know, you know, and that's totally fair to be focused on that right now. But Congress can't do more than one thing at once. Yeah. On the gun control thing, we only got about two minutes left. But uh, Donald Trump continues to say we're going to arm teachers. Yesterday, I thought he had a really telling uh, uh, <clears throat> comment when he was talking to the governors. And he said, a lot of you guys are scared of the NRA. Which is something that we say all the time. These Republican governors are scared of the NRA. Don't worry about the NRA. They're on our side. You guys, half of you are so afraid of the NRA. There's <laughs> nothing to be afraid of. And you know what? If that, it, so it's, it's just like classic Donald Trump, right? He's saying the quiet part loud again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty remarkable comment from a Republican president. It's shocking. Yeah. I was shocked when I saw that. Mm-hmm. But on his point, they say they're going to get something done. What are we seeing so far? Uh, we're seeing a uh, whole lot of nothing so far in Congress. I mean, they're trying to do the, a very basic bill that would basically require states to report to the national uh, FBI uh, registry back for background checks purposes. It wouldn't require you know background checks across the board. You know, Democrats say it's the it's the most basic thing you could possibly do. The NRA supports it, uh, but in the Senate. It already hit a road bump yesterday. Uh, Mike Lee's sort of standing in the way of of it, and uh, the House has. Wouldn't you love to be the guy to just lay it on the line over that, right? Like something so silly. And it's unclear what the House is going to do. I mean, both chambers could easily pass this bill. It's just just caught up in in sort of the bureaucracy of of Congress at the moment. Um, And that is the most basic thing they could possibly do. So it's not a good sign that they're going to be able to do much more. 
if they can't get this bill done. But, and some of them say, too, that Donald Trump could make a difference, but he's been talking a lot. We really don't know where he stands, where on, he stands? Anything, on anything. He's been all over the place. Yeah. Hinting at this, hinting at that, dropping this. White House reporter for Politico, Andrew Rastusha. Thank you so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Follow him on Twitter, at Andrew Rastusha. That's Rastusha with two Cs, I-A. I read his good work at politico.com. We're going to take a very, very quick break. Coming up, Emma Roller from Splinter News joins us in studio. Stay tuned to The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogbert sitting in for Bill Press while Bill Press is right here. It's just one of those mornings. My God, have mercy. We came in and I thought Bill was going to host the show, but tis the season for, uh, you know, illnesses and sore throats. And Bill came in and he had no voice. The most important thing you need when you do a talk show is a voice. Yeah, pretty hard to do it. Pretty hard, hard to, to do, do it without, without a voice. So, the team is pulled through. Everybody's doing different jobs today. We're like a weird version of the Avengers. We just all <laughs> leapt into action. I jumped behind the mic. Ray jumped behind the board. Bill, we shoved him over in the corner. Who cares what he does? He doesn't have a voice. I really have to say, if you've never done your boss's job with them staring at you from across the right. table... I got to tell you, quite an experience. I'm having quite a morning. I'll just eat my yogurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jump in from time to time. Shut up say, over there. <laughs> <laughs> that is the voice of, or what's left of the voice of Bill Press uh, with me, Peter Ogburn, uh, steering the ship today. But of course, I couldn't do it by myself. We brought in some professional help. <laughs> the full throated Emma Roller is here with us. <clears throat> Brown leather, yellow leather. You nailed it. You nailed it. Make sure you do all of your exercises before yes. you go on air with your vocal exercises. Uh, Emma, of course, is senior reporter at Splinter News. You can follow her on Twitter, at Emma Roller, a, uh, a wonderful follow on Twitter. Emma, how are you? Thank you for coming in. I'm good. I'm good. I'm um, looking forward to it getting a little warmer outside here in D.C., it seems like. I have to tell you, uh, you know, we, like last week we had, we were up to like, 84 degrees, right? Yeah. Right. So I, I went, I was at the grocery store, and it's probably why Bill lost his voice, by the That's way. That's what I was just going to yeah. say, yeah. I was at the grocery store, and there was this guy, I swear, I, I kid you not, this guy sounded just like Bernie Sanders, the guy that was checking me out. Whoa. And he, he goes, uh, how, how's the weather outside? <laughs> and I said, and then it got a little bit colder. I said, it's gotten a little bit colder. It's not as nice as it was yesterday. Because it was beautiful. And he goes, it's not supposed to be nice out. It's February. It's winter. We're not supposed to have weather like this. And I said, 
Fair point. I mean, fair. Fair point, but I'm going to enjoy it while it's here. Here's what's been wrong with it is it's 80 one day and 30 the next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's no wonder. Everybody is this a cold day or a hot day? Because every other day. Wake yeah. up and flip a coin. Uh, I want to I want to uh, play a clip, by the way, because uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday. Um, we played this clip a couple times already during the show, but Donald Trump saying he was going to rush into the school uh, where the shooting occurred, and somebody asked Sarah Huckabee Sanders about it yesterday, and she had to come out and just say, "Oh no, 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 that's not exactly what he meant." Here's what she said. He was just stating that um, as a leader, he would have uh, stepped in and hopefully been able to help as a number of the individuals that were in the school, the coach and other adults, uh, and even a lot of the students stepped up. Bill, you're you're in these White House press briefings sometimes. <laughs> I, how would you have reacted if that had happened when you were in there? I would have laughed out loud. It's laughable. It is. Yeah. It's full on laughable. I told somebody the other day, that's why I don't go to the briefings as much, because I found myself in the back of a room. And she would say something, and I would say, no. <laughs> I mean, I just couldn't help myself, you know, and mm-hmm. I was afraid Secret Service was going to escort me out. So. Yeah. yeah. I, my, I, when I hear that story, I think of a couple different things. I think of the time that it was either the G8 summit or, or one of these big summits where all of the world leaders walked about 200 yards for yeah. a photo op. And they got there, and they were looking around, and they were just, Where's the president of the United States? Donald Trump's not here. Where is he? Because he couldn't walk that far. He was waiting for a golf cart. I and forgot so about that. they got there yeah. and they waited yeah. half an hour for the, air quotes, leader of the free world to actually get a lift that, that short period. That the, short the one thing wrong with what Donald Trump said is you are not going to see Donald Trump run, run. Anywhere. Ain't gonna happen. Donald Trump. Whatever happened to the bone spurs? The bone spurs. I guess they're better now. I guess they're better now. Stay tuned. Very quick break. We'll be right back. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. Here we go in the second hour of the program. Thank you so very much for listening to the show in podcast form, if that is how you are consuming it. Remember, if you are not, you can get it on iTunes. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it anywhere that you get your podcast. Just go look for the Bill Press Show. We put it up right after the show, the entire show, the whole thing. In fact, if you're listening to us on one of our stations, uh, WCPT in Chicago, you don't hear the entire show. You miss out on part of the show. You can get it in the podcast form. You just have to go subscribe and get it there. And also, thank you to our Free Speech TV viewers and those of you watching at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in for Bill Press while Bill Press is right here across from me. And I'm sitting in for Bill Press, too, <laughs> without a voice. Yeah, a little role reversal here no, this morning. It's getting a little stronger as the morning goes along. I hear it. I, 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 I hear it. By noon, I'll be... Uh... <laughs> Maybe I'll just show myself out. I'll go home and kick up my feet for a little while. Uh, we're joined for the hour by Emma Roller from Splinter News. Emma, good to see you. Good to see you. Emma, you always do great work. You're one of my favorite people to read, really and truly. Oh, my gosh. But I want to start out with a story that really made me mad. (laughs) Not not your writing of it, but your coverage of it. (laughs) Amazon. Mm. Amazon reported how much money they made last year. Do you know how much money they made last year? I know how much they paid in taxes. Yeah, we're getting there. 
5.6 billion dollars is what they made in profits last year. Just in the US, I should clarify. Oh, excuse me. Just in the United yeah, States. Just- so when they make $5.6 billion in profits, how much did they pay in taxes, Emma? Zero. Womp, womp. Zero? Really? That's where we are now? So Amazon paid, as far as their filings with the SEC show, paid actually less than zero in federal income taxes yeah, yeah. for 2017. And the thing to remember... <clears throat> Um, with this filing is that this is all before the GOP tax bill has kicked in. Yeah. So the question becomes, if this is how the com- the country's biggest companies are behaving before this bill has gone into effect, how will they be- behave now that it is in effect? Oh, God, that is so depressing. Yeah, I wouldn't mind giving them a lower tax rate if they paid it. <laughs> right. But, exactly. but so... Even the tax rate before that was that was the the lie that Donald Trump saying that we had the highest corporate taxes mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even on paper wasn't true. First of all, on paper, but certainly in terms of what companies were actually paying, mm-hmm. it was not thirty five percent. They were paying like those that did pay maybe twelve or ten. Mm-hmm. And Amazon nothing, nothing. So why did they need the big tax break to begin with? It's so kind of <sighs> discouraging because. I'm an Amazon Prime member. I think Amazon mm-hmm. Prime has totally changed the way that we shop. Mm-hmm. Christmas time, it's a breeze now, mm-hmm. right? And yet I kind of feel terrible for giving them my money. I feel pretty te- pretty terrible about it. Also, Ray and I were having this conversation this morning. Um, Apple. I'm mm-hmm. an Apple guy. I have an Apple laptop. I have an iPhone. Oh, I have an iPad. Mm-hmm. Apple, they... Went out there. Tim Cook went out and said, "Like we're bringing jobs back to America. Why? Because of this Trump tax cut bill that got." Passed. Oh, sure, and that's the case uh, for a lot of a lot of companies who sort of try to their leaders try to position themselves as maybe socially conscious, at least if not liberal. Yeah, Bezos is one of them. Yeah, he owns the Washington yeah. Post. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and in writing these stories and covering Amazon, and we. At Splinter, we cover Amazon pretty aggressively, I would say. And it's really hard for our readers, I think, and just people in general, to separate Amazon, the company, from and its business dealings um, from the product that it delivers, which, let it be said, has been enormously useful for a lot of people. And I was talking to a tax policy expert about this yesterday, and he said that some some something like fifty percent of Americans use Amazon Prime now. I'm not sure if that is accurate, but it's a huge I portion that. of Americans use Prime. I do believe that. Like mm-hmm. even yeah. my my parents who are not exactly internet savvy, mm-hmm. right? Like they've they know they use Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Hundred bucks a year, you get all the stuff shipped to you essentially the next day. Mm-hmm. Right? Like so how do they get around this? I mean, because I, I was ready to be mad about the, the Trump tax bill, right? But that, that has nothing to do with this. That hasn't even gone into effect yet. So, yeah. So it does help Amazon in that, uh, at least according to their tax filing, filings, the GOP tax bill will give them some something like a $789 million tax windfall. Oh, that's it. That's jump change, <laughs> really, really yeah. for them. Um, but the 
the way that they were essentially able to zero out their federal tax burden, or at least what they're arguing is through, you know, various tax credits and um, tax breaks for stock compensation, which is something that a lot of these Silicon Valley companies do. Another thing that I learned that I didn't know before writing this story is that where, okay, let me ask you guys, where do you think Amazon's headquarters are? Seattle. Yeah, I would say Seattle. Right. So uh, I think there's something like 40,000 Amazon employees in, in Seattle. It's their hub of operations for sure. Their global headquarters is not Seattle. It is Luxembourg, a uh, tiny landlocked nation in Europe. And the European Union has actually uh, gotten in kind of a battle with Luxembourg and has accused the Luxembourg government of basically, you know, using illegal tax breaks to of entice course. Amazon. No, I was just going to say, course. I'm sure they park a lot of their money overseas. That's one mm-hmm. way of they course. avoid paying taxes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we do have this thing called an alternative no, um, alternative minimum tax, isn't that what it's called, for individuals. Mm-hmm. And the one year that we've seen of Donald Trump's tax returns, mm-hmm. that cost him about $25 million or something. I mean, it was huge. Yeah. So why don't we have something like that for corporations? That Do you have to pay a minimum amount of right. corporate taxes? You can't just write it all off. Right. Well, Because Amazon's not alone. I yeah, no, no, no. Ex- not Exxon didn't pay taxes oh, for no, no. years and years. And this is becoming, if it not, isn't already, it's the rule, not not the exception to the rule to behave in this way. Um, and I think this is where it kind of lays bare the GOP's flawed thinking in the, that the idea that you can cut taxes into and turn that into jobs spinning thread into gold in that way. Um, what we've seen is that companies are not reinvesting their tax cuts in labor. They're not using their tax cuts to invest in their workers, they're using their tax cuts for stuff like stock buybacks, which helps their own bottom line and helps, you know, their shareholders, but yeah. doesn't necessarily help the economy or their own workforce or hiring more people. And executive compensation. Right. And uh, it's worth noting in all of this that Jeff Bezos is now the richest yes. person in the world. Make it rain. He's Make worth, it rain, Jeff. Worth something like $108 billion, which is a number that I don't really God, fully understand. You can't. <laughs> How could you possibly understand and comprehend yeah. that wealth? $108 billion. And yet that's not enough for him. That's not enough for him and his company. they got to figure out a way to not pay mm-hmm. taxes. That It's, it's, it's yeah. dispiriting. He, uh, unlike somebody like a Sheldon Adelson, he doesn't or the Koch brothers. He does some good things with his money, supports mm-hmm. some good causes. But still, Amazon ought to pay its taxes. Yeah, they should pay their ta- pay your taxes. Yeah, Pay, pay your, your freaking taxes. taxes. Mm-hmm. That's pay, it. Pay your fair share. It, right, and it becomes a question of walk, are you walking the walk that you right. are, you know, pur- purporting at least a little bit to be somewhat of a social leader. Yeah. Bezos, I think, donated... $30 million, something like that, to um, a scholarship fund for DACA recipients, which I'm all for that. That is great. But great. $30 million pay for tri- Jeff Bezos is... Pay triple that in taxes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But And that sum for him is is chump change. Yeah, right, exactly. He's also, um, worth note, it's worth noting, he's also lagged behind other ultra-rich guys like Bill Gates, 
um, in that he hasn't really established his parents have a charitable foundation, but Jeff Bezos himself has yeah. not established a charitable foundation. And there's no real structure in place for him to distribute his enormous wealth. Uh, I, I want to switch gears here because uh, we rarely ever talk sports with you, Emma. But oh, my, boy. My favorite sporting event was last night when teenagers from Florida just started dunking all over Marco Rubio at the CNN town hall. <laughs> you wrote about one of them who actually tweeted at him, Sarah Chadwick, tweeted this is the most this is the most brutal own i love this tweet but she tweeted quote we should change the names of ar-15s to marco rubio because they are so easy to buy just brutal yeah the the teens the teens are good man that's all the teens are good the teens are good i mean that scene in town hall i think was i mean look we are in a national moment right now Mm mm-hmm and we've talked about this before, right? Like 538 has even looked at the trends of how we continue to talk about this this latest yeah. shooting in yeah. Parkland, Florida, right? And I remember um, probably the, the last major big shooting that, that, that we had talked about before this was Las Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, which was in October of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that died off pretty quickly. Like the conversation around it, like we didn't have a, a national conversation about guns. We all agreed that bump stocks are bad, and then nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Bump stocks are still here. Donald Trump is saying they're going to go away, but I'm not so sure. Mm -hmm. But we moved on pretty quickly. But we we have not let go of this story in Florida. Why do you think that is? I mean, what do you think it is that's fueling that? I honestly think that part a big part of it is that we have firsthand accounts of survivors who are not framing their own trauma as purely a tragedy, but also as, you know, a means for action. Yeah. And I think that's what so many conservatives are getting really mad about and yeah. arguing that, you know, they shouldn't be given the platform that they're being given. No, they're kids. These mm-hmm. Call them kids, call them students, call them their survivors. They are, they're all the above. But one thing that's different this time is this argument, it's too soon, we can't talk about it, that didn't fly this time. No. Did right. not because fly. Because the kids themselves because the were kids saying would it's not time. allow the silence. They that, said, oh, no, we are going to demand that you talk about this. So even Trump has not used that first NRA response, which is always, how dare you exploit this tragedy mm-hmm. to talk about what we should do about guns. Right. Uh, on that scene in town hall, they had students standing there eye to eye, toe to toe, looking Marco Rubio in the eye and asking him if he would give back the money that he received from the NRA. And when he dodged the question, which these politicians are fairly skilled at doing, mm-hmm. that's the student that asked him the question would not let it go. Mm-hmm. He kept asking, are you saying you're not going to take any more money? Sounds like you're not giving us a no or a yes. And just... Just kept just mm-hmm. pounding it. And you don't see that from people on TV, anchors mm-hmm. on TV. Mm-hmm. I guess they got to have the access and all that stuff later on. But these students, they don't care. Another thing that my, my colleague at Splinter, Alex Perrin, wrote about is that the stakes are so real for these teens yeah. in a way that the way that a lot of the media covers politics is the horse race. It's the circus. Yeah. And that really 
separates ourselves from the actual political stakes, which can include people's lives. And the teens are eminently aware of that and really passionate, as they should be. And I think that's another reason why they were just so relentless in pursuing that line of questioning. The other thing that I think really, really changed, which I I don't hear a lot of people talking about, is, like, look, I I grew up in school uh, without a real threat of gun violence. It just wasn't really a thing when I grew up. I was a freshman in college when Columbine happened. Uh, now, 20 years later, here I am. I have a teenager. Uh, I I can't imagine what kids today must be going through when they go to school and they see story after story after story after story of gun violence here in America. But they haven't everywhere. known any different. But they haven't known any different. Which is sad. I mean, this is the Columbine. We call them the Columbine generation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think you have a combination of parents who have raised their kids and are raising children and seeing this happen and kids who have grown up with it. And now we've sort of hit this critical mass. So could a politician go out there and just say, screw the NRA, we're banning assault weapons, um, we're, whatever uh, you know, we're expanding background checks. All these other uh, a- a expansions to to gun safety and when? Mm-hmm. I I think yes, because I think what gets lost, and this is a testament to how much the NRA has successfully sort of warped the parameters of debate. Gun control is hugely popular, even among gun owners in America. Most gun owners in America are not NRA members. Right, NRA. The NRA represents a far right-wing faction. The manufacturers, of gun really. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a majority of Americans support expanding background checks. A majority of Americans support banning assault weapons, and that's why you see so much dissonance with Republican lawmakers like Marco Rubio, who keep trying to trot out this sort of weak line of argument, like, "No, but do you realize when you say you want to ban assault re- weapons, you mean?" all semi-automatic rifles and people are replying and saying yeah 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 that's exactly what we want to do sounds great him standing up on that stage where he was saying hey look we've tried this before and you know it just didn't work out so great because uh you know there were loopholes and the students just like hey that's your job you're (laughs) a politician you gotta fix it (laughs) if you if there are loopholes get your ass in there and get to work Mm -hmm. right better bill it's a pretty fatalistic uh, way to view politics. Of, of all the politicians responding to this, the weakest of all, I think, is Marco Rubio. Hands down. Totally. Hands down. I yeah. think so. And, like, the thing that really— From the beginning. Yeah, the thing that really drove me nuts were people giving him credit for going to the CNN town hall. For going. At least he went. What do you mean, at no. least he went? That's the yeah. least he could it's do. His it's job. literally yeah. the least That's he could his do. Job. Mm-hmm. Um, his job. His state, his job. Yeah, right. Uh, one of the other faces that a lot of people we've we've known her for a long time, but a lot of people were exposed to uh, at that debate was Dana Loesch, the spokeswoman for the NRA. You have written about Dana Loesch because she said a lot of different things about arming women, yes. arming teachers, all this type of stuff. Um, talk to me about that a little bit. Yes. So at the CNN town hall, uh, Dana Lash from the NRA said, basically, made the argument that. We need to arm women so that they can defend themselves against being assaulted. And she was roundly booed in the town hall. Um, 
But I thought that argument was worth teasing out a little bit because it's something that is really prevalent on the right. And it's a way that I think the NRA tries to sort of cynically seize on, you know, feminism and the Me Too movement and be like, no, we're we're woke. Look at us. We, we want women to have guns. Um, oh, yeah, man, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but what I wrote about um, in responding to that is that we have tried that. Women for years and years have armed themselves against their abusers. What tends to happen is that our criminal justice system criminalizes not their abusers, but the women for defending themselves, and especially women of color and especially black women. You have um, the case I write about Melissa Alexander. You may remember her from a few years ago. Um, She is a Florida mother of was of three young kids. Her spouse was abusive. She fired a warning shot at him. This is the warning shot case. She fired a warning shot um, as he was attacking her to scare him away. Um, Rather than arresting the husband and charging him, she was arrested, charged with aggravated um, assault, I believe, Mm. and ended up serving, I think, two years in prison. She tried to argue, stand your ground, because this is Florida, and the judge didn't accept it. Uh, A couple years later, George Zimmerman argued the same defense for fatally shooting Trayvon Martin and in part was acquitted. Sure. Almost like that's a terrible, terrible law. (laughs) Almost. But the, the point is that the criminal justice system as a whole, when women do try to defend themselves with a weapon, women are disproportionately the ones who end up getting hurt. Yeah. And the answer is not more guns. The answer is fewer guns. Yeah. Bill said the other day, he goes, look, if you've got a grocery store selling rotten meat, the way to fix it isn't by putting more raw meat or rotten meat in the in the grocery store, right? right. You just get rid of the rotten mm-hmm. meat. Or it's not to say that we'll sell you the rotten meat, but only if you're 21 years old <laughs> right. or 25, mm-hmm. right? No, it's the product that you're selling right. that should not be on the market. It's not the age of the person buying the product. And everyone has seen this research now of comparing the United States to other countries. You've got the example of Australia, which made a concerted <laughs> effort to you know, decrease the supply of guns, and it works. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, yesterday, Melania Trump was speaking. Uh, we've seen Donald Trump sort of be all over the board on the gun control issue. We've seen a lot of Republicans come out and and attack the uh, students in Florida for speaking up. How dare they? (laughs) Uh, Melania Trump took a little bit of a different tone yesterday. First of all, she praised the kids that are speaking up. As a parent, I cannot imagine the kind of grief and tragedy like that brings. And I hope and I know we all find ourselves wondering what we can do help and she goes on to say that like we might actually see some real change here uh in this country if we all come together we can start to affect positive change for our children and help prepare them for their futures 
What does that mean exactly? That was the most non-statement I've it, ever. It is seen. a non-statement, but like it, it's also in a lot of ways. I mean, you could read into that in a lot of different ways, right? But you could you could look at that and say real change, listening to the kids, mm-hmm. putting the kids first, doesn't really sound like she's on board with what her husband is saying. You know, I generally think that first ladies are out of bounds. I mean, or almost flip them. I sort of always I like the first lady sure. Barbara Bush I thought was great even Laura Bush she's a librarian I give sure. her a pass you know Hillary was great my god Michelle Obama yeah so I kind of want to say okay Melania but please I mean please that was a nothing burger that was nothing at all and by the way and her husband if she has any empathy at all he doesn't oh and I think she has zero influence over him mm-hmm. she, oh that I'm sure of right yeah I mean, she's there for one reason, you know, just to, for photo ops. Sure. And let's go back to when she celebrated the first year in the White House and she put out a photo of her with a Marine guard, <laughs> not with her husband. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of people think that uh, she's in the White House only until, I mean, she's with this marriage only until he's out of the White House. Who knows? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. gossipy, but. Depends but on what their anyhow. contract says. <laughs> yeah, right. Um. So, you know, I, I want to play this clip once again of, of Donald Trump talking about the NRA because we've said this several times, right? Donald Trump has a problem with saying the quiet part loud. He did it again. He did it again mm-hmm. yesterday when he talked about the NRA and how Republicans are scared of them. Don't worry about the NRA. They're on our side. You guys, half of you are so afraid of the NRA. There's nothing to be afraid of. And you know what? If they're not... With you, we have to fight them every once in a while. That's okay. I find that clip fascinating. Like, I find that clip absolutely fascinating. Because, yeah. first of all, Donald Trump has also said, like, that you're not going to find a bigger friend of the NRA than me. They, they gave t- him $30 million. And he said, you guys came through for me. I'm going to come through big for you. Right? It, he's not the guy to be preaching about standing up to the NRA. I, yeah, I have come to subscribe to the theory that whatever the president says is influenced by whoever was the most recent person yes, he talked to. That, that's it. I do. I agree with you. <laughs> and I then he just you. kind of parrots whatever they said. Yeah. He starts out his, even if you say, which I don't believe at all, that he had a real interest in finding out what we could do to make schools safer. Mm-hmm. He starts out by having lunch with the leadership of the NRA and basically saying, "What can you? What could you possibly support, if anything?" The right? fascinating part when of that. When you start there, yeah. you're on a downhill slope. So clearly, slope, somebody maybe. got to Trump between the lunch with the NRA and the meeting where he said those comments because right. those didn't come from the NRA. Right. No, but I don't believe him. No, he'll never <laughs> stand up to the NRA. And the amazing thing is that about saying the quiet part loud is that sometimes it's. It's beneficial for us because it sheds some sunlight inadvertently on yeah. things we wouldn't have known about. I don't think we would have known about the lunch if he had not said, like, oh, yeah, I had lunch with Wayne LaPierre. I'm surprised it didn't come out. Right. <laughs> right. I have to tell you, it was not on his schedule. Mm-hmm. Huh. I wonder why. Hmm. I wonder why. Yeah. 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a very, very quick break. It's the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in for Bill Press. Uh, Emma Roller is here with us for the rest of the hour. We'll be joined by John Allen, our friend from NBC News. Uh, stay tuned. Very, very quick break. We'll be right back. On your radio, on TV. 
and online. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press today. We sent Bill home. We finally just had to sit. Uh, when I say we sent him home, we just took him out back and got rid of him. <laughs> All right. He's so. in a very nice farm upstate. Yeah, 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 now. yeah. We sent him up to a very, very pleasant place upstate. He's My parents told me that about cats that I had <laughs> when I was a little kid. Like, like. We got we had my little sister, yeah, and then they got rid of the cats because they oh. worried the cats were going to hurt the kid. But like they had the cats when I was born, so they weren't that worried about <laughs> they me. They were worried about me. Well, you could handle a cat. And then they were like, "We're going to farm them out upstate," and and to this day they insist that they actually found a farm for them. And I just I don't think it's true. <laughs> You're a grown man, and they're still selling. I don't lie. believe it. I just like I don't. Maybe it's true, but I don't believe it because uh, yeah, it sounds no, so ridiculous. No, there's no believing that story. Uh, that is the voice of John Allen. He is national political reporter for NBC News. We are also joined by Emma Roller. Uh, she is senior reporter at Splinter News. Uh, you can follow Emma on Twitter at Emma Roller. You can follow John on Twitter at John Allen DC. My name is Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in for Bill today. Like I said, we sent Bill home. Uh, he's working on his voice. It'll get back. It'll get better. Uh, first of all, I want to start out with a little bit of breaking news. Well, not exactly breaking news. This is a headline from the Washington Post many, 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 many years ago. Nixon sees witch hunt, insiders say. The byline on that is Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. Fast forward to this morning, Tuesday morning, February 27th, 7.49 a.m., all capital letters, two-word tweet from the President of the United States, Donald Trump, just says, witch hunt. (laughs) Doesn't really give much other context to it, except for if you look at the other tweets that he was he, he was putting out earlier this morning. He quoted uh, uh, Judge Napolitano from Fox News. He quoted Jonathan Turley from Fox News. And he quoted Judge Ken Starr, who said something on Fox News. So all about collusion and Russia and Mueller. We've been sort of, he's been sort of building this narrative of that the whole thing is a witch hunt. Robert Mueller seems to disagree. Um, where, where does this, where, where does this end, John? I mean, you're just assuming that he meant uh, the Mueller investigation was a witch hunt against him, not that he was uh, calling for a witch hunt with the all capitals witch hunt. Folks, before Halloween, it's only months away. We're going <laughs> to find all the witches. We're going to hunt them out. No more costumes. Burn them. Burn the witch. <laughs> right? Um, I, you know, look, uh, in, in the 1970s, a president of the United States would uh, confide to his aides, perhaps, that he thought that he was the victim of a witch hunt, maybe share that with uh, people on, on Capitol Hill to try to get them to support him. Uh, and Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein would have to dig really hard to find out that that's where the president's head was. Now we have Twitter. Now we Donald just have Trump. a direct line into the president's brain. Into the via very, Twitter. yeah, moist brain of the president. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, for all of us, the distance between the brain and the tweet is pretty short. Yeah. And too short. Yeah. I think there should be a mandatory, like, waiting period before between when you think of a tweet and when you can send it. What if there were universal background checks for having a Twitter For account? tweets. Oh, boy. Well, Maybe like, not each thing. tweet, but for having an account. There are people mm. who have been trying to <laughs> I'm just get... kidding. I don't believe in unique <laughs> speech. There, 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 are people, <laughs> there have been people who have been trying to say, like, Twitter's got to take Donald Trump's Twitter account away, right? Or, like, shut him down or ban him or whatever. Which, by the way, I would love to see that. Really? But it ain't... Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I totally disagree with that. That's fine. 
mean, just the tantrum he would throw would be epic. I, I, right. I, I just like I, I just think it would be it would be nuts. And like the people who have made the argument for it said, like, look, we were he was trying to bait North Korea into a nuclear war with Twitter. Right, not that long ago. How soon we forget. But there's a difference between his advisors saying you shouldn't be on Twitter and him agreeing to it and Twitter like shutting down his account. Well, I look at what Twitter has shut down and I look at what like what accounts they think are dangerous and like I think his might fall into that category. I think that the um, That's just me speaking. I, I I mean I'm not trying to like You're not speaking for the show or for Bill Press or <laughs> Bill might disagree. Bill, Bill, I disagree on plenty of things. But Look, like, the president I, of the United States has a lot more latitude than what he says. But sure. by virtue of the position, has more, much more latitude than uh, your average Twitter user. Sure. I kind of go back and forth on this um, because it seems like there have been clear, just clear violations of Twitter's terms of service in terms of the president, you know, launching verbal attacks at people who might deserve a modicum of privacy in their lives. He's getting sued over that by one of his accusers yeah. still. Um, but it also is great in that it is this direct line into the president's brain and it is, you know, shedding at least some sunlight on his thought process for better or for worse. Yeah. By the way, we were we started out talking about collusion and the rush investigation. I, I'm looking up at our TV screens. Carter Page is somehow impossibly still making the media rounds. He's on CNN this morning. I I think it was uh, Chris Hayes who said, you are either very innocent or you are the dumbest man alive because you just keep going out Who's there. Who's telling him to keep going? Someone's got to tell him to say, shut up, man. I mean, you know, like Iron Man. <laughs> Why not have both? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sure. Right. Sure. No, I, fair point. I, I will say this: Carter Page showed up before the House Intelligence Committee without an attorney. Yeah, that does not speak to me uh, of somebody who's like thinking strategically. Yeah, um, in the in the most self serving way possible. I mean, unless he was hoping that he could later uh, have that undone legally somehow. Um, <laughs> members of the committee were like, what wa- basically walked out were like this. This guy's nuts for for not bringing him. Maybe he thought they would be so impressed by his trust in them that Maybe. they would vindicate him. But then, if you look at his back and forth with the committee members, and that transcript's available, it's. I mean, I, you feel like you've gone through a rabbit hole. Not to use a cliche, but uh, I, I want to switch gears here a little bit because last uh, down the rabbit hole or through the looking glass. There you go. Like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> this past weekend was CPAC. CPAC, uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. You were there, I imagine. Yeah, the Conservative Political Action Conference. The one and only. I've gone to a couple of CPACs. It's been a while. I, my favorite CPAC story is, um, this was a couple years ago. I went to CPAC. I got real liquored up <laughs> at shock. And I got cornered. You were the only one. You know, no. <laughs> <laughs> I got cornered by this guy who was just a lunatic, frothing mad lunatic. And you know what? He's now the governor of Kentucky. It was Matt Bevin. Seriously. Seriously? So no, no kidding. No kidding. What did you guys talk about? He thought that he somehow thought that I was a constituent. So he was giving me like, literally just the two of us. He was giving me like a stump speech and said he was thrilled to see all the young people that were out here to support him. And I was like, 
This is just some Breitbart party that I crashed. I mean, Peter, you're from South Carolina, educated in Alabama. <laughs> it was such a stretch to think Fair point. that he might have thought, this guy my seems brother. like he might be a constituent. But you must be my kid. Who has, who has, a, who has a big beard at CPAC? Right, like yeah, fair point. It's like the coastal conservatives. You probably have... thought you were like a prepper. No, yeah, right. no offense. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm just thinking like the Venn diagram of conservatives with beards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I actually had this conversation with someone the other day about how back in the '60s, if you were a dude who had a beard, you were like anti-establishment, right? But like these days, if you've got a big beard, you know, people automatically assume you're a Trump guy. Really? Is that true? I, I don't know. That's what I was told. Really? That's what I was told. I, see, I got my beard trimmed because I, I feel it was like a all the all control. the young Trump supporter. I just assumed you were orthodox. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like they're all pretty clean shaven, though. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, what 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 did you see like Hasidic, at, at CPAC? You know, yeah, like, no, I, yeah. I understood the joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what did you see? What, what did you? See? What did you see <laughs> at CPAC, John? That that uh, I mean, it, it was it was. It, first, of all, I, should, I should always point out like these are the most conservative members of the, the party. Yeah, this is the Conservative Political Action Conference put on by the American Conservative Union, sponsored by the NRA and uh, some uh, insurance companies and stuff. But like, or insurance collectives. I know. Sure. Yeah. Um, but basically, uh, this was the dullest CPAC that I've been to. Because Donald Trump is so far, so more, I don't know, strident and so yeah. more out there than uh, than anybody else that once he's spoken. Uh, it's all downhill from there. It's all downhill from there. And even the run-up is like not that exciting. I will say the one thing that was, uh, the one thing that was very interesting from the stage that sort of was like everybody was anticipating was Wayne LaPierre. Because yeah. those, his, those were his first remarks. Uh, publicly since the Parkland shooting. And, uh, you know, people expect the NRA to sort of go dark after shootings, and they did that for a few days here. But, like, he came out pretty aggressively. Like, this was not somebody who was, like, trying to, like, get through the moment or Mm -hmm. not make himself part of the debate. He basically got out there and, um, you know, espoused uh, espoused the NRA's views aggressively and basically told the audience that, uh, that they're coming for your Second Amendment, and if they get the Second Amendment, they'll be able to take away all your other rights. Well, it's the same old song that I feel like has been... It's the same set list. It's like the Vans yeah. Warped Tour every year at CPAC. <laughs> it's the same speakers, the same bands. Well played. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. Well, it's like on that point, right? Like, we have for years, I for years, have come in on the Monday after the, the, the uh, closing of CPAC, and we will have tons of audio from people who have said something pretty wild, right? Like, pretty nuts. And when you've got the President of the United States who can just as easily talk about arming teachers as he is about talking how he totally could have nailed Tawny Katane that one time in a club, and he's the President of the United States... I don't really know what else you could do that's more shocking than that. Did he say that when he was president? <laughs> Maybe not. I mean, to be fair, people have lives before they become president, right? Yeah, fair. fair <laughs> not that I'm not that I'm ar- not that I'm arguing you should talk that it, way. Period. But like, it is different. Like to say it from you know from the East Room. If he put a line in the State <laughs> of the Union about how one time he swore Suzanne Summers was coming on to him, I wouldn't be shocked. I would be shocked. 
Because somebody would take it out. It's not, it's, <laughs> he riffs. Um, so the other thing about CPAC that was interesting or, or different, Donald Trump has taken over the Republican Party, and cons- but not just the party, like conservatism. Like to mm-hmm. define conservatism today and CPAC is the ultimate arbiter essentially of what is American conservatism mm-hmm. with all the activists there, you have to start with Trumpism. And there's like, really like if you're outside that circle of Trumpism, you're no longer considered a conservative. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, you know, by by the large swath of the Republican Party, you're no longer considered a conservative, which has left all of these uh, like conservative intellectuals, you know, out in the cold. Yeah. Um, and so that was really evident at this event. Uh, the pot debate was really good, but nobody was there for it. They were like oh, on stage. There was a debate over like legalizing marijuana. They all showed up forty five minutes late to it. Yeah, <laughs> they, no, they would have gone. But... Well, this one guy was like the guy that was advocating for pot was like, and you know there there are burdens to get it anyway, even here in Colorado. And I was like, dude, <laughs> wait, really? You're in Maryland. <laughs> yeah, you are not helping your cause. <laughs> Whoa. But it was actually like a spirited debate. Was that man Gary Johnson? No, no. But there were two, but there were actually two sides to a debate on this particular issue on the CPAC stage. And it's interesting that you've gotten to the point where, like, there's really nothing else that's debatable. Yeah. I think that's, um, it's really interesting that you say this this was more of one of the duller CPACs in recent years. And I think that goes to show that conservatism is at its core and always has been sort of a reactionary movement reacting to, you know, social change in, you know, that's going on in American history. But when Donald Trump is in the White House, the Tea Party has essentially taken the reins in the House of Representatives and, you know, Republicans control all of Congress and have majorities in state legislatures and governorships. It's hard to find – you kind of have to search to find something to be reacting against. And I feel like that's why the Tea Party was so successful in 2010 was because it was reacting against Obama and Obamacare. And also on on that note, by the way, uh, I remember multiple years in a row at CPAC, they held their straw poll, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ron Paul won every year. And if it wasn't Ron Paul, it was Rand Paul who won. But those folks stayed away this year. Yeah. I mean, to the extent yeah. that there are still people yeah. who are with the Pauls, that they, they just weren't there. I mean, that's hmm. if you are there, you're you're totally on board with President Trump, and if you're not totally bo- on board with President Trump, you do not attend. That's I mean, that's basically what we got this year. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. It's just fascinating. This also gets to like, look, I know Democrats have a real problem, right? Like they're out of power completely. They got to figure out what kind of Democratic Party they're going to be. No leader, no platform. No leader. No, like... The leaders that they do have are high, are very unpopular and probably should be looking for a way out here. Bernie Sanders is pretty popular. Bernie Sanders is still pretty popular. Mm-hmm. I, I, what I, I was talking but more about I guess he's an like independent now. Nancy Pelosi. I'm screaming and... from the mountaintop that nobody will listen to me that uh, uh, Democrats are not paying attention to the fact that Bernie uh, continues to have a movement that's growing, yeah. While none of the rest of them do, and that if you look at the presidential election, for I feel 2020, the same way, John. Like that, there's, uh, that there's, um, you know, if you look at anybody else for 2020, they're so far behind. I wouldn't go so far as to say like Bernie's the front runner for 2020, but like Bernie's kind of the front runner for 2020 until somebody else builds an operation. 
I think that I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think Christian Gillibrand has been positioning herself and Cory Booker a little bit to a lesser extent and trying to get away from the sort of poll testing means of politics that has really warped the Democratic Party, in my opinion. Um, we've seen her positioning on legal weed. She and, you know, she signed on to Cory Booker's plan um, to legalize marijuana or take it off the federal schedule. Um, she's been really outspoken about the Me Too stuff and obviously came out against Al Franken, her own colleague, which has backfired, I think, among the donor class of Democrats. Sure, yeah. But I think at the same time has maybe made younger Bernie supporters yeah. give her a second look. And, you know, I think that's her, her calculus. The donors are more upset that they're not able to see Al Franken at DSCC events anymore. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> we got the we got the humor. I I think you're I mean you're right, definitely that she is positioning herself. I think she was in a weird spot with with the Franken stuff because had she not said anything after doing all the the work on sexual assault in the military, that also would have been a problem. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of political observers ignore that when mm -hmm. they criticize her for mm -hmm. doing what she did. Um, and yet, at the same time, she's getting some attention and she's probably getting some supporters, but she's not building a movement or an operation the way sure. the party is. And so, like, I just think that right now the biggest force in Democratic politics, um, and it's a it's a plurality force, mm -hmm. is is the Bernie force. Well, yeah, it's what's fascinating to me is to watch so many Democratic politicians try and co-opt the Bernie message, right? Like. Mm -hmm. Cory Booker has been a centrist, centrist Democrat his entire career, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, I remember when she, I forgot who it was that she was, she was appointed to uh, uh, the seat first and then she had to win it back. I forgot who it was. Hillary Clinton. Clinton. Oh, duh. <laughs> who was that again? I forgot. That New York senator, blonde I who woman. I mm, not ringing a bell. Uh, but when she was appointed the senator, Democrats had a big problem because she was so pro-gun. Yeah, no, she she ran as a uh, conservative yeah. Democrat for the House in 2006, I think, uh, the Rahm year. The year yeah. Rahm Emanuel got yeah. elected center senator. Yeah. Two things are true. One, he recruited a lot of people that don't fit with their uh, Democratic base, including Kirsten Gillibrand at the time. And two, they won a whole lot of seats by doing that yeah. and won control of the House. So, uh, you know, the, I, this is like a – any party always has this debate over, like, how moderate or extreme or, you know, mm -hmm. fringy people should be. Uh, well, uh, to, 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 how effective is it going to be if you're – how could – I mean, they could be painted as an authentic messenger, an inauthentic messenger, right? Like, if you've sort of had a career as being this – and now all of a sudden, yeah, Bernie Sanders is probably the most popular politician in the country. Mm -hmm. You're going to try and pick that message up, but you don't really have the credentials. Like, at some point, that's got to bite you in the ass, right? I mean, I, Emma was just saying that uh, that the Democratic Party has kind of lost itself through poll testing and stuff. I'm kind of curious to what, or what, you've, what you think of what Peter asked. Uh can you pick up a a, a a mantle of being a Bernie Sanders, Sanders type uh, Democratic socialist mm -hmm. and have some of those tendencies and some of those policies when you've got to square the fact that you've been a centrist for your entire political sure. career up until now when it's become politically opportune? I think that is you hit the nail on the head, and I don't have the answer. Um, but I think that someone like 
Elizabeth Warren yeah. is an authentic messenger. I agree. I think the bat the it's a much more steep uphill battle for someone like Gillibrand, Booker, even Kamala Harris having with her experience as a prosecutor that I think will be called into question if and when she decides to run. Yeah, it really comes down to what will Democrats accept? Mm-hmm. Like what will they what will what will voters accept as authentic, I think. Well, it's I do think it's interesting that you've got Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and Kirsten Gillibrand um, doing something that's the opposite of what Barack Obama did to win, mm-hmm. which is uh, the unique characteristic of Barack Obama, other than his talent and his intellect, but from a pol- pure crass political sure. standpoint, he was the first, uh, not the first black candidate, but the first, I don't know, black candidate who had a chance of winning the presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't like to talk about that. Oh, sure. Uh, he, I, he, he would talk about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. He did the race speech we know, but like, that's not what he was putting forward about himself. Mm-hmm. If you look at what Gillibrand and Booker and Harris and some of the others are doing, there's a lot more tendency to like to narrow cast to uh, a base that you feel like you already have. Uh, that's that is your support group. Uh, that's your natural support group, and um, and in some ways that may be limiting. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Politics yeah. may also have changed in the course of the last. Sure. Uh, you know, nine years or so. Uh, years. With the last three minutes or so that we have left on the show, I want to ask you um, about the the gun situation because Congress is back in town. Um, Ray, I want to play a couple of clips here. First of all, Joe Manchin, uh, senator from West Virginia. I, if there is a more pro gun state in America than West Virginia, I'm not aware of it. He was ta- he was asked about the idea to arm teachers. I haven't found any support in West Virginia from the teachers and all the groups that I've spoken to uh, for that. I'm sure there's some areas, there'll be pockets of it. Uh, Jeff Flake from Arizona, also I would say a fairly pro-gun state, he also commented on it. That's not a direction I'd go. I think there are other things we we could do do first. I mean, that just doesn't sound like a... Like a direction we ought to head in. Okay, so you're having a hard time convincing two senators from two very pro-gun states that arming teachers is a good idea. How is this going to happen? It's not. Well, first all right, John. All, thanks for coming in, buddy. <laughs> first of all, there are already states where teachers can carry guns, where qualified people can carry guns, including up until like this year, California. Yeah. Um, so that's not entirely, it's not as new as some people think that sure, it is. Sure, sure, sure. But really this is, a, more than anything, is a device to move the debate away from gun control and have it be about whether teachers right. should be packing heat. And so, uh, you know, I think that, that President Trump and his allies in uh, the Second Amendment crowd uh, have done a pretty good job of shifting that debate pretty quickly uh, away from limitations on certain weapons that people already own. And again, like we were saying before, it's just another solution where the proposed solution is more guns, injecting more guns into the blood supply. Who, who would benefit from that? Yeah, I, I, I just would it be the gun, gun manufacturers. <laughs> gun manufacturers. Um, I mean, but, but I mean, to that point, when does that end? Where do we find the logical end to that argument? Every toddler has right. a gun. Right. Now. Like we, we could continue to make that argument all the way down the line until we get to every student should carry a gun into the classroom because you never know 
On the one hand, teachers can no longer speak harshly to your child without getting sued. On the other hand, they can pack heat. Yeah, right, 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 right. Not sure exactly all the directions we're moving in. Right, and it's also forcing teachers. I mean, if the uh, I also agreed with John that this isn't going to happen, but if it did, imagine being a teacher. You're you're underpaid. You're so stressed out all the time. I don't anyone who is friends or family with a teacher knows how hard teachers work. I, I have to and, say, I, I texted, no, I don't mean to interrupt, okay. but like, I, I texted a friend of mine who is a teacher, very, very good friend of mine, and uh, I asked her about this, and she said, I truly value and appreciate those who, like my brave and talented brother-in-law, do choose to be soldiers. They, can, they have guns. They're trained to use them. That is not my role. I chose to be an educator, not a soldier. Please do not try to arm me. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Like, I can't imagine there are a lot of teachers out there that are going to get on board with this. And with that, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it. John Allen from NBC News and Emma Roller from Splinter. Thank you both so much for coming in. I know it's been kind of a wacky show. Y'all, thank you for listening. If you haven't listened to the whole show, go get the podcast. We'll have it up here in just a moment. Uh, Go look for it. It's the Bill Price Show on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. My name is Peter Ogburn. See you tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show.